cooling off. We went through a little bit of a cold spell this week that kind of uh, caught me a little bit off guard, to be honest with you. Uh, waking up in the morning and actually having to use the heater, but boy, it, it just felt good out there this morning. I've been blessed with another uh, another fine day. So um, we're in this uh, this new sermon series that Nick kicked off for us last week uh, called Who's Your One? And that's what we'll be studying today as well. Uh, um, hopefully stirring our hearts to... Um, uh, to people that God puts uh, uh, around us and, and uh, that we can um, um, pray for them, minister to them, and, and show them Christ and bring them closer and, and uh, have a, uh, just a, a relationship with Him. So um, before we get in, um, I'd like to pray, if you don't mind. Um, Father God, just pray for uh, your message today, Lord. Pray that um, just uh, you would use me well, Father, to... to um, uh, share your word, and um, for our hearts to be open, to hear, to be humble, to um, uh, be receptive to your word, Father. Uh, keep, uh, keep, please keep the enemy far, far away from us. Help us with any um, any anxieties we may have, any any issues that we fight with, Father, and uh, guide us this morning, Lord, in, in your word again. In uh, your beautiful name, Jesus, we pray and ask. Amen. So um, with the changing um, after Labor Day, you know, we, uh, we see that uh, uh, summer's basically officially over is what, what it said, and we got fall coming on, and we've got um, football starting up. Um, Chris has got uh, the Eagles going on. Um, uh, I, I visited with uh, Bryce, and, and he had a game going on, and uh, I, I enjoy sports. I'm not into it uh, big, um, know every, all the stats or anything like that if, if I've got some time. I'll sit down and watch a game and, and check it out. Um, maybe the I, I'm into motorsports. Um, I like mechanical things. I've watched uh, NASCAR here and there or um, like Formula One. But those are type of the things that I like. And uh, we see that a lot of that's going on, especially this time of year with, with football. Um, football seems to uh, to grab some of us. And, and, it's, and it's not a bad thing. It's, it's good to be able to enjoy some of that. But in, in studying for today's uh, message, there was, a, there was a phrase that come up in a book that I had read. Um, it's probably been two, three years ago now. And that's how this, this, uh, this intro to this study come. And, and, and I hope you can follow along with me on this. But this book I read, and maybe some of you have read it as well, it's called Not a Fan. Um, it's by Kyle Eidelman. And he brings up this, these points about, um, you know, a fan and a follower. And it, it got me into this, this thought process of, of, of again, where this, uh, where this prep was going. And so that's where I come in with the football game, the NASCAR, certain things like that. And then um, my mind on how it goes, I had to go in and I had to define certain things. So fan, can anybody give me, and we're talking like the fan, you know, you sit at a football game or, or whatever, um, not ceiling fans. Because um, when I typed it in, I'm like, what are they talking about at first? And that dawned on me. There's two different types. So, um, yeah, I lost that for a minute. There's two different fans. Um, can anyone out there tell me what a fan is? Oh, that's, yeah, that's one I didn't see, but that's a good one. A follower. Okay. Um, a fan, uh, according to the dictionary um, that, that I pulled up, an enthusiastic devotee as of a sport or a performing art, usually as a spectator. 
um, that led me on to a follower. So we, we, we talked about a fan as an enthusiastic devotee, as of a sport or a performing art, usually as a spectator. And then you go into a follower. And so those kind of, at first I thought, were the same thing as, as you had said there just a second ago. So I pulled it up and started looking at it, and uh, a follower. Does anybody have a definition for a follower? Pretty quiet on that one. Jen, I'm going to pick on you. If you don't have anything, I... Okay. And that's where, uh, yes, I, I come across that. In the dictionary it says, one in the service of another, one that follows the opinions or teachings of another, one that imitates another. So those were two definitions I sit here and I, I researched, I, I looked at, and then I go back to that book that I had read because it triggered something to go uh, look at that. And, and I seen something by this Kyle, Kyle Eidelman. And his definition, a fan, an enthusiastic admirer. And then, as Nick was talking about, we've got, he talked last week about Christians. What, are the, what is us a definition as a Christian? a follower of Christ. You start seeing a little bit that there's a difference between being a fan and a follower. We see a fan as, like, like I said, an enthusiastic admirer. This man, this Kyle, talked about, you know, he had a poster on, on his wall as a kid of, of Michael Jordan. And actually, as a kid, he was a, he was a son of, of, a, of a Baptist preacher. He also had a poster of Jesus on the wall. And it was more of as, as an admiring thing, not as a follower of Christ. And he said that he was, um, as he grew, he got convicted of this. And that's where this message is going today on, on what it means to be like a follower of Christ. Um, and not just sitting on the sidelines as an enthusiastic admirer. We love everything about Jesus. We want him in our lives, all this stuff, but we really don't want to follow him. He said a couple things in this thing I was reading, uh, actually this morning, it, it was a, excuse me, a video. And, and a, an admirer or a fan is someone that is something like, um, close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it required sacrifice. That one stuck with me, that, that one um, hit. Um, you know, love all the benefits of Jesus, all of the, the love that he has for me and, and the freedoms that, um, I have through him to know that, that he's got me through everything, no matter um, through ailment or, or whatever, he's got me. But, but do I sometimes walk that fine line of not wanting to sacrifice certain things that I, that I have? Lastly, he, uh, he said another one that um, um, comes a little bit close to home as well for me. It just says, you know, um, want to follow Jesus into heaven but you didn't want to take a cross with you. Those are some other um, phrases about being a fan and a follower, um, an enthusiastic admirer or someone that follows the service of another, one that imitates another, one that follows the opinions and teachings of another. There is a difference. Are we fans of Jesus or are we followers? Are we Christians or are we something else? And so that's where today's message is, is going. Um, we're talking about the one. It doesn't start with the masses. It starts with one. 
who has God put on your heart to share the gospel? The greatest treasure in all of history. Who has God put on your heart? That's what this series is about on who is your one. If you'll uh, please turn with me, we're going to get started in um, Luke um, chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. If you don't have your Bibles with you today, um, I encourage you, there should be one in the seat in front of you, um, and, and that's where we'll be today. And, and again, I encourage you to pick it up and read it so you guys can read for yourself what God's Word has to say. Again, Luke 5, 17 through 26. It says, On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. So uh, to bring you into scripture here to where we're at, um, we see that um, Jesus is uh, doing his ministry. He's here um, uh, doing some teaching, some healing. He's, he's amongst the, the crowds. And we see the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They were sitting there um, uh, watching Jesus, what he was doing. And, and if you guys are unfamiliar with the Pharisees and, and the teachers of the law, um, these particular Pharisees here in this were, were kind of like, um, how would you say it? Like the holy rollers. Like they, they are holier than thou. They really look and, and they judge. They don't have heart. They, they have more of this, um, I follow the law to the T, therefore I'm perfect and I'm loved by God. Doing this works-based type thing of, of following Jesus, which is, which is n not right. Um, they're missing the heart of the message. It, it, they're making it more about them than they are about Christ. That's the type of Pharisees we're dealing with here. It's people that really, they know the law, they know the Old Testament, they walk in it, but it's more, God, in some ways it's almost more of a competition than it is really a care or a love for God. It's, it's I do this, this where I get to sit here, or I do this, I, for, I, I get to sit there kind of thing. Um, that's the type that we're dealing with here. Not all Pharisees were like that, but these particular Pharisees that were sitting here judging Jesus were. Um, and we see we have a man, um, looks like he's paralyzed. They're bringing him, bringing him in and uh, before Jesus and, and laying him down through a, a hole in the roof. And we see something very important. We see something that can maybe sometimes be looked over. In verse 20, it says, and when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. 
And we see instantly the scribes and the Pharisees are not happy about this. They begin to question, saying, who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? We see the deity of Christ here, and we can sometimes just go over that. Like if this wasn't um, a divine, if this isn't um, God in creation, in, in, in flesh, like this is blasphemy. This is like me up here claiming I'm God, you need to follow me. Crazy talk. So right here, here's, here's a thing that we can sometimes overlook. So right here, if Jesus would have died on the cross and that would be the end of it, that probably would be just a crazy man that thought he was somebody and never happened. But here we are, 2,000 years later, he rose. He, he rose three days later, 2,000 years later, we're still talking, we're still pursuing him, we're still seeing Christ at work. This is an important part to pick up on Scripture on who Jesus is. He wasn't created, he's always been there, he's God. It's, it's something very important to see. And, and again, if we don't see that Jesus rose from the dead and, and here we are 2,000 years later, he'd just be another man claiming to be somebody he's not. Very important, I thought, to pick up on that. So we see these men, and we see they're doing something. We see these men, um, it doesn't say that, um, that they're friends. As far as we know, they had compassion on the man and just seen he was paralyzed and, and, and brings him in. But they had a mission. That's our first point here, is these men had a mission. Mission drives us. This mission that we see here, their mission was, at this time, to get their friend to Jesus. At, at whatever cost. Like, it wasn't just get his friend to Jesus and so he can hear. Like, they were on a mission so he could talk to Jesus, be with Jesus, see Jesus. We're all on some sort of daily mission. From our work that we do every day, our jobs, to our home life, we're all on some sort of daily mission. You know, that brought some, some thoughts in, into my past on, on how God has rescued me um, from, from my past and has showed me some things. And, and my past maybe isn't, um, um, I guess, as messed up as I guess the world would say it is as, as far as um, worldly things. But, but I had a messed up past in, in selfishness. Um, uh, still fight that very much today. It brought me to a moment in my life where my mission, <laughs> believe it or not, was, was um, I guess you could say racing. Um, I, I had bought a, a Yamaha Banshee. It's an ATV. It's a sport ATV. And it was one of those things that um, a couple buddies started going to the sand dunes, and I really enjoyed it. It was a good time. Um, you'd go down there, there. It was called Sand Mountain. You'd race up and down this mountain. And um, the competitiveness with your buddies, it was all about who can get up the mountain the quickest. Boy, I sound dumb saying that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was the truth. <laughs> we, uh, we would go down there. We'd spend a weekend, we'd come home, we'd tinker. We'd go down there, we'd spend a weekend, and, and it was always one guy was getting up the mountain quicker. Yeah, we'd go and play in the dunes for a minute, but it was always about the mountain. You'd come back, and so you'd come, like I said, you'd come home, and, you, and you'd figure out ways to make your bike quicker, um, ways to get it out of the hole faster. Uh, getting out of the hole is 
beating the person out of the, out of the starting line. And this consumed me um, to the point that, yeah, I worked, but I worked overtime to make sure I had some money because, you know, you had to buy uh, the next set of pipes or exhaust for, for um, you guys aren't familiar with the Banshee. Uh, you had to get these, these, these pipes. Then after the pipes would be, um, they call it a cool head. You had to get uh, more compression, and then you'd go in and you'd do some other things to this thing. And it was just constant. And it was constant for, unfortunately, probably two to four years. I don't know. It was a while. Um, I, I just remember that point in my life where, you know what, um, praise God that he, that he still had things. He had um, my wife that um, still raised my, um, our, our kids, walked with our kids. Um, very, I look back at it now, you guys, and it's very ugly. Um, I remember if Jennifer wanted to get her hair done. It was like, what? Like, are you kidding me? That's taken away from, you guessed it, more racing parts. Um, so you can see that, and, and, and by no means am I fixed, you guys. Like, I, I, I still fight with this daily. I still fight with, um, with some of you that know me. It's called Tony Land. Um, that Tony Land is quite prevalent where, anyways. So th this was the mission that you could say I was on. This mission that was driving me, driving me on my job, driving me to perform well at, at my job, like I, I wanted that extra money. So I discussed what my mission was, and, and the next question is, is like, if we had a mission statement, what would that look like? So, of course, my mind got wandering again, and I had to go define mission statement. Uh, it just brings clarity for me when I define things. So uh, I, this is my goofiness that hopefully you guys can stand. Um, mission statement definition. Something that states the purpose or goal of a business organ or an organization. I added or an individual. So mission statement for, for, like us, like something that states the purpose or goal of an individual. Something that states the purpose or goal of Tony. So what's my mission statement? What, what was it? Well, of course. Um, you know, just simply to pursue Tony's comforts at all costs. And, and comforts, I guess, at that time was going down and enjoying the sand dunes, um, racing the bike, trying to be quicker than my buddy. Ah, again, didn't sound good to say. Pathetic. It was fun. We had good times, but man, I missed the whole, the whole. There's some things that I wish I could go back and change, as we all probably uh, wish we could. But um, praise God that that He um, opened my eyes and let me see, and He's working on me every day. So again, that that would be kind of my mission statement in them days. We have a mission vision statement here. Um, no go grow. No Jesus as Savior. I put them backwards. No, grow, go. I got them written down backwards. Grow in him and go. Go and share the word to others. Our vision is to live authentic lives, proclaiming the good news of Jesus and inviting Castle Country to belong to and expand the way. That gives us direction. That's where we always fall back to and ask, are we doing this in any decisions we do here? Are we doing this? This is, this is where we always come back to. Jesus had a mission statement. Anybody guess what, what that would be? Or probably not guess, but anyone know? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, say that again? Uh, a sentence that was brought to me in this is, is Luke 19.10, and it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. 
that's Jesus' mission statement, like in, in a nutshell. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. We've seen that he come down, he, he, um, he was flesh, he felt everything that you and I did, or do, and he came here, he pushed his own life to the side, he came to pursue us, to seek us, and then he performed something we couldn't do. He saved us. He gave up himself for us. So in all this, it was a very convicting thing. What drives you? What pushes you? What's your mission? Daily as you wake up and you think about what you're, you're going through that day, what's, what's our mission? Is it, is, it, is it Tony Land? Is it all about what I want, my pursuits, my gain? Or is it God's mission? Is our mission more for our kingdom or is it more for God's kingdom? Um, I feel I need to say this before I move on. This message today is not a message of guilt, of making you feel um, oh, unworthy. Because we're all unworthy. I mean, honestly, we all are. But that's not the point of the message. Like, God, don't do that. God, don't, like, if we was unworthy, we would never have this. Like, God, God values us. I want to make sure that if, if anything's creeping in dark-wise, that, man, I don't live up to his expectations. Man, I'm worthless. Man, I just need to go a different route. Like, I, when I get all this other crap out of my life, then I can come to be with him. I, I Please, I beg you to leave that. Drop that. If your heart is convicted, you see things. God is opening your eyes to things. That's, a, that's so much better than this guilt-ridden, ugly thing. Um, and, and so I just want your hearts to be protected by that on today's message. Um, the analogy I've used before is, man, if my daughter cleans her room because I guilted her into it, th that is not well of me. If my daughter cleans her room because she sees the value in it and sees how things need to be done, that, that's totally different. Just please protect your hearts because for so many years, my heart wasn't. I looked at God as a, um, a, a guy that was up there always um, smiting me, just uh, bringing me down. Um, I was never good enough. I figured once I get this stuff out of my life, then he'll accept me. He'll like me. And you can't do none of that without him. He wants you the way you are right now, the way you are. Like you just, you just can't. So please don't let that come around. Um, protect your hearts on that. Because there's going to be a lot of things in here today that convicted my heart. Um, there's a lot of things in here that started down this road of a works-based salvation. This isn't that message. That's not the gospel. Um, protect your heart on that, please. So, how does he pursue us? How does, how does he go after us? By what means does he pursue us? Like, there's a whole bunch of different means of, of how he pursues us. But there's something that comes to head most of the time. And it's through us. It's through his people. He grabs us through whatever means, through most likely other people that ministered to us, and then he says, now that you see that, I want you to turn your head on them. You see me, you see my love, and you see the love that I have for creation. I, I want that to be turned to them. So as people look to us and had compassion on us, 
and shared the greatest news ever? He's asking us to do that. There's people that are dying that don't know him. There's people that are in the dark that are stressing about health issues, certain things. Like, it's like, I want them to be free and all that. What things spiritually has God put on your heart that you long to see come to fruition in your lifetime? Do you have kingdom dreams, such as people coming to faith in Christ? Or are, or are all your dreams tied to this life? Those were some questions that come in this study to me. So someone took the time to study with me. Someone, and I beat this guy up. Um, I, I know my mind um, wanders and, and I had a million questions. He took the time um, over four or five months, maybe even longer to spend with me as I, as I beat this, this man up. Um, some of the things I said, some of the things I did. Um, man, I, I um, just praise God that he gave him patience and praise God that he was able to open God's word and reveal God to me. And hopefully that's what this is today, is stirring you to say, you know what, there's people out there that don't know Christ or has maybe heard about him, but they're not living in that freedom of knowing that he's got it no matter what. Um, when was the last time you stopped to think about those dreams? Hopefully that stirs again uh, something today. So moving on. These men that we see here in Scripture, they had an eager expectation. So we see here are these men. They've seen this great movement in Jesus, seen the healings, heard the teachings, and were moved to the point that they had to get this paralyzed man to Jesus. Again, the text does not say that it was his friend or family member or whatever. All we can really say is he must have had compassion. They must have had compassion on the man and wanted to show him Jesus. But why? What was their expectation? You know, at the very least, to give the man hope, to hear Jesus, to see Jesus, that, um, to see Jesus as, they, as, as they had for themselves. But again, that wasn't their expectation. If that was it, they could have just dropped, brought the man to the roof to hear and see Jesus, and that was it. They could have just dropped him off there and left him. But they didn't. They, they opened up a hole in the roof and dropped him in. They wanted this man to be seen by Jesus, and they wanted this man to see Jesus. They had this eager expectation of healing, of life transformation, of change. More questions. They got my heart stirring again. Don't we all have that eager expectation of someone coming to the faith? Don't we all have that freedom of, 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 of a loved one, of a friend, of a coworker, someone you see that is hurting, someone that you see that is walking in this darkness that they're in pain. They're, they're in, they're hurting. Isn't there someone we have that eager expectation of coming to the faith? Does that eager expectation move you to action? You know, God asked me, well, what do we do with that eager expectation this week? Do we just drop it off of his feet and leave? Or do we stop, listen to him, ask, and then move? Again, does your eager expectation move you to action? 
So these men, moving on, and, and these men encountered an obstacle. Several obstacles. They encountered the crowd. There was no way to get to him because the crowd was so thick. At this point, many of us possibly would have given up. Throw up the white flag and surrender. There's no way in, or so it seems. I tried. We assume that the open door is an equal path of least resistance. How many of that how how many of us have fallen into that category? Where you're stirred to share the gospel with someone, but the timing just wasn't right, or you know, um, Nick wasn't there to help coach you along, or you know, it just didn't feel right. I had a slight headache, and you know, if it was God's way, everything would have just lined up magically, and it would just would have been easy. How many of us look for that path of least resistance to share the gospel? Everything has to line up. The stars all have to come into alignment to even go down that road. Like, imagine for a moment if that was Paul's thought process. Do you think we would have half of the New Testament that we have today? If he had to have, he had to always go through an easy, open door to share the gospel. Like, think about that. Like, it wasn't always this yellow brick road for him. He was beaten. I mean, he was stoned. He was shipwrecked. I mean, there are numerous things in there that you see. And again, if it was on Paul's way and understanding, Paul wouldn't have made it. But you see the power of Christ. Every time he fell and couldn't go, you see Christ picking him up. Talk about seeing God daily. We need to encounter that obstacle and move through that obstacle. We see that these men did that. We see that these men um, <laughs> went past. I mean, I don't know if I would have thought about that too. Well, I can't get to him, so we'll just we'll cut a hole in the roof. And we're going to drop him down in um, a paralyzed man that, again, it doesn't say he's his friend. They just had compassion on this man. We're going to cut a hole, and we're going to drop him in. That did not derail their mission of him seeing Jesus. What obstacles have derailed you from from the mission. What would it look for, like for us to dig a hole in the roof? What things stand in our way to share the gospel with others? I hope you go home and, and ponder some of these questions as it is uh, as I have pondered. What is God calling us to do? What is God asking us to do? What hole are we called to dig? We see, moving on, that these men got more than they bargained for. They came to have this man healed, and they saw and was a part of something so much more. It says in 26, and amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. What things? We've seen God at work, life-changing, extraordinary things. God. Like, we didn't see a man that come there that had been paralyzed and brought in front of Christ and said, wiggle your finger. And he was, like, 
that was the extent of his healing. Like, oh, we could maybe, you know, that's, he, he had been going through some twitches and all of a sudden now he's moving his fingers and his toes more. We didn't even go to the point that say, well, he just set up. We've seen this man get up. Like, I've never been a part of it, but you hear about being bedridden for a while to where you lose your muscle. You can't get up, you can't move, you can't do things. You've got to build that muscle back up. Here we have that a man is, is paralyzed and we see that he gets up and not only does he get up, he takes his mat, he picks up something and walks away. Like those ain't normal everyday things. Those are extraordinary things. Talk about them, that man getting more than they bargained for. Talk about them seeing things that they never thought they would see. Like they seen the power of God that day. You want to see God. You want to see his movement. Share. Give. Give of your life. Give of your time. Think who's your one. Who's your one God has put on your heart to come to know him? And as we've seen last, they're like, who's prepared to be filled with awe and the power of God? Who's prepared to get more than they bargained for? To be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. Again, not just a one moving a toe or wiggling a finger, but getting up and taking their mat. Not only did they get to Jesus and show him, show this man to him, this man was changed. they were probably changed. So again, you guys, looking back in my life, the question that, that come up in this study was, how did others play a role in your trusting in Jesus? I can think of my mom. I can think of, um, I called him Brother Patton, um, a, a pastor that... Uh, um, I walked with when I, when I was a young boy, a young man. Um, I can think of different people that I had conversations conversations with uh, in my work. And then I finally see where um, Ryan Booth, a uh, previous pastor here um, years ago, that, that took the time and took on my questions of, of uh, misunderstandings, of, of blaming God for things, and this works-based mentality. You've seen for sure at some point I was that paralytic on the mat. We've all been that person, or we all are, wherever our walk is right now. Someone dug a hole in the roof for us. Why would we not long for this type, this type, the same type of transformation in others? This freedom we have in Christ. And if you don't have this freedom, you wonder what I'm talking about? This sounds foolish. Like, stick around. Talk to one of us. Like, I'm not, I'm not just saying the prosperity gospel where all, everything's just going to be happy-go-lucky and, and things are fine. What I'm saying out about talking about is this freedom to know that God has you through ups and downs, through your pain, through your suffering. Ultimately, He has you. And this is not the end-all, be-all. 
And when you know that and you have that freedom that he's got you through any crisis, things become less worrisome, less stressful. There, there's Just please, um, if, if there's any of that, please find one of us. Nick's back there. I'm right. Any, anybody, just grab anybody and, and they'll lead you. In closing, I would like to read this story. And I w- I'm a little slow. It took me a minute to, to figure this one out. I hope that this story goes well for you guys, that you guys can uh, pick up on this little parable. Um, kind of describes possibly where some of us can be, possibly describes um, what, what a Christian has turned into in some ways, um, what the church can sometimes turn into. Um, so I, I hope it affects you and, and touches you like it, it, it did me. And hopefully I can read it well. Um, so, now it, came, now it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish. And the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, and year after year, these who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish, and how they might go about fishing. Year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means, defended fishing as an occupation, and declared that fishing is always to be the primary task of fishermen. Continually, they searched for new and better methods of fishing and for new and better definitions of fishing. They created witty slogans and displayed them on big, beautiful banners. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. (laughs) One thing they didn't do, however, they did not fish. In addition to meeting regularly, they organized a board to send out fishermen to other places where there were many fish. The board hired staffs and appointed committees and held many meetings to define fishing, to defend fishing and to decide what new streams should be thought about. But the staff and committee members did not fish. Large, elaborate, and expensive training centers were built whose original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. Over the years, courses were offered on the needs of fish, the nature of fish, where to find fish, the physiology reactions of fish, and how to approach and feed fish. Those who who taught had doctorates in fishology, but the teachers did not fish. They only taught fishing year after year, After tedious training, many graduated and many were giving fishing licenses. They were sent to do full-time fishing, some to distant waters, which were filled with fish, which were filled with fish. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and sent to fish, but like the fishermen back home, they never fished. They engaged in all kinds of other occupations. Some felt their job was to relate to the fish in a good way so the fish would know the difference between good and bad fishermen. Others felt simply letting the fish know they were nice, land-loving neighbors and how loving and kind they were was enough. Now it's true that many of the fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties. Some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish every day. They received the ridicule of some who made fun of their fishermen's clubs and the fact that they claimed to be fishermen yet never fished. Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who don't fish were really not fishermen. 
no matter how much they claim to be. Yet it did sound correct. Is a person a fisherman if, year after year, he never fishes? More plainly stated, is one really following if he isn't fishing? I hope you guys picked up on on what that was talking about. Hope you guys picked up on the definition of being a Christian and not just studying, not just reading, but being a follower. I know what did me, even as slow as I was, and it took me a minute, I had to reread it and go back and see that it wasn't about fishermen. Before I pray, I just want to again protect your hearts. Remember, Christ loves us. He died for us. And this is not a message of squash, of killing you, beating you down. It should be a message of conviction to change our hearts. To come to him the way we are today is how he wants us. We can't fix ourselves, you guys. Please don't let this message be something ugly and bad. Keep the darkness out of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your message. I thank you for the convictions that I had felt and continue to feel. I pray, Lord, for, uh, for others that you would just keep the enemy far, far away that they would know that you are a God of love, that you want what's best for them, and you seek them daily. You seek all of us daily, Father. I pray that this message sticks with us. That we find that one, and then after that one, another one, and another one after that. They would come to know the freedom